Good morning, everybody. Uh, why don't you pray with me, and then we're going to jump into uh, the beginning of Hebrews this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for uh, gathering your people here together this morning. We thank you for uh, time together. We thank you for Jesus, who's made you known to us, who's made a way for us to be with you, who glorifies you in, 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 in your fullness. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit make Jesus known to us th this morning, uh, over the next few minutes, and in, and in everything that we do this morning, uh, we would know you, that, that Jesus would be glorified, that Jesus would be made known, that Jesus would be lifted high, and that we would see that, that he is better, that he is greater than everything, and that we'd follow him. Uh, I pray that you speak to each one of us over the next few minutes as, as you would speak, that you open the, our ears to have us hear what you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. If God exists, who is he, right? If God exists, who is he? What's he like? What did he make, like, everything for? What, what are his intentions towards you and me, towards us? These are the types of questions that people have been asking forever, there just seem to be a lot of unknowns about God. And how we answer a lot of these really big questions uh, can and does lead us in many directions with how we actually go out and live our lives. But if we go back to Genesis, to the very first book in the Bible, as we often do, and if we go back to the Garden of Eden, like before Adam and Eve were, were deceived by the serpent, if we go back to when they were just living as God created them to live, like enjoying his creation. They were tending to the garden, bearing his image in their own relationship uh, with one another uh, and in their relationship with God and with his world. There, in that place, at the very beginning of the story, the questions of who God is and what he's like and uh, what his intentions are towards us, those weren't questions. Those questions did not exist. At that time, these weren't questions for humankind at all. And they weren't questions because who God is and what he is like was already known to Adam and Eve. The answers were just all around them and everything that he had created. Everything that he had made pointed to the greatness of who God is. Everything that they experienced with him made his goodness evident. It wasn't until the serpent, who we know as Satan, uh, comes into the story that these questions were actually introduced, right? The serpent messed with Eve's mind. He deceived her. He got her to believe lies. He made her wonder if God maybe wasn't telling her something about who she really could be, or maybe he wasn't telling her about something about uh, who he really was. And the serpent introduced these questions like, are you sure that God is really good? How great is he, really? He introduced ideas like it's not really about uh, what you think you know about him. It's about what you actually don't know about him that matters. What is God really like? What are his intentions toward you? And can you really trust him? And so the questions were introduced. And Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit looking for answers to their new found questions. And we've kind of been asking those same kind of questions ever since. 
And how we answer those questions can lead us all over the place. Some days we may think one thing, some days we think another, and we live in all different ways. This morning we're introducing uh, the book of Hebrews, where we're going to spend the next few months together on Sunday mornings. Hebrews is a book, it's near the end of the New Testament, that actually introduces a lot of new questions for us, like, is it really what you would call a book? Maybe it's a letter, like many of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Maybe it's a sermon. Who exactly was it for? And the biggest question that people talk about when they talk about Hebrews is, who in the world wrote this book or this letter or this sermon? Some say it was Paul, who wrote a lot of letters to a lot of churches in the New Testament. Others say it was Apollos. And some make the case for even Priscilla. We're going to call it a sermon, but for the most... Most of our questions, we just won't have the answers, and we definitely don't know who wrote it. So let's just, that's up front. We don't know. But here's the thing. Though Hebrews raises all these new questions for us, it also speaks to our greater questions of who God is and what he's like and what his intentions toward us and all of creation really are. And that's what I want us to get into. Let's go ahead and read the first few verses of Hebrews together. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is where we're going to start today. Honestly, these first four verses are some of the most, um, for me, some of the most overwhelming verses in the Bible. There's just a few places in Scripture that just kind of pull me into a place of of wonder and awe, and and this is one of them. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, I'm going to read it for us. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. It says this, Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This has got to be just one of the most powerful lines in all of Scripture, and and it actually is just one sentence. Uh, though, Though it's read here in our translation as several sentences in the Greek, it's just one long sentence and it's built around one main thing and that main thing is this, that God has spoken. God has spoken. Where does that take us back to? Genesis, again. The first chapter of the first book of the Bible begins that way. God spoke and that's how he created everything. And the writer of Hebrews kind of draws out the way that God has spoken. At times, he's spoken through the fathers and through the prophets. That's like all those characters and the writers of the Old Testament before Jesus. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus. And then the preacher here in Hebrews kind of dives a little bit further into that. Who is God's son? Who is Jesus? He's God's son. Maybe that concept is familiar enough. God sent his only son to give his life for us and to forgive us of our sin. But the preacher goes on. He says, uh, he has also been appointed the heir of all things. Jesus 
rose from the grave. And in defeating the thing that defeats everyone and everything else, death, he has been proven greater than every ruler. He's the king of kings. He's the heir of all things. But there's more. Through whom also he created the world. Through whom also he created the world. I know I've said it often, and this really isn't new information, but do you just like ever let that sink in? Jesus doesn't live in some like box that we may have in our heads. He isn't just a character that's like anticipated in the Old Testament and, and who comes in the New Testament. Jesus is God. And he was there at creation because he's always been there. John 1, 1 through 3 says it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was anything made that was, that was made. Was not anything made that was made. When God spoke creation into existence, it was through Jesus, the Word, that it was all made. See, the writer of Hebrews, he draws out the ways in which God has spoken. And we're being guided to see that whatever God has said in the beginning is the same thing that has been reset and reemphasized through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is all here. Like right away in this very first sentence, this is all here, uh, and there's still more. Let's just move to verse 3. Still part of the same original sentence. It's still centering around that idea that God has spoken. Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus, this is he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is, this is the best. Like, it's just such a cool line to me. To really talk about it, I think we have to start by talking about that word glory. I think it's really important that we just agree on what we're talking about when we talk about the word glory because I, I just get the sense that it's one of those words that gets thrown around a lot and it's not like wholly um, understood. What does it mean? We use glory a lot in church world, right? Like we sing it in our songs. We say that God is full of uh, glory, that, that we want to glorify God. We, we pray that, that he would be glorified and so on. We say it all the time. But what does it mean? If you think glory means like praiseworthy or um, magnificent or something along those lines, I think you'd be right. But, but dig under that a little bit with me and think more about what is it that makes God praiseworthy? What is it that makes God magnificent? Like, who is he really? What's he really like that makes him so praiseworthy? What makes him so magnificent? Then you get a better understanding of what glory really means. In another context, you might be describing something to others, like a new house or a new car or a new gift or something like that, and then you'd say, you just have to see it in all its glory. Probably heard somebody say that, or you may have said it yourself. See, to know the glory of something or someone is really to know it through and through for what it really is and behold it for all its worth. To know the glory of God means to know Him for who He really is and what He's truly 
worth. Then to glorify God then means to make him known to others for who he really is. So when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, the preacher here is really saying that who God is and what he is like is made known in full through Jesus Christ. Like everything there is to know, the answers are all there in Jesus. And this has always been the case. Since all of creation was made in and through Jesus, the word, before the questions were ever introduced, Jesus was already the answer. I know I've said this several times, and I'm, I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record at times. It's just truly one of the most awesome things to me. And that is that there is a reason the story of creation starts with God speaking. And it's because God is saying something. He wants something to be known. And that something is himself. What he is saying is an expression of himself. He's making himself known for all that he's worth. And in this first sentence of Hebrews, we can already see it. Jesus is and will always be the first and the last word about who God is and what he is like. And if we know the real Jesus, then we really know God. Bear with me just a little bit further here. Let's look at verse 3, the end of verse 3, Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Some translations say he upholds or he sustains the universe by his powerful word rather than by the word of his power. Either way, let me just kind of tell you what I, how I take this statement as it's still part of the same big sentence that's revolving around this main point that God has spoken. You know, Isaiah wrote that God's word won't return void. And I think that that's what's being expressed here. What was said about who God is and what he is like from the beginning is never changing. It's what all of creation and all of this whole story of us will ultimately communicate in every aspect of Everything of it all. Though the serpent would introduce the lies and he brought confusion, though we began to question the reality of who God is and what he's like, those lies, that, that confusion, our distrust, those big questions that we have, none of it will ever change what is evident in all of creation. It cannot undo, it cannot bend what God has said in and through all of creation to actually mean anything different than he means it to. It cannot succeed in changing the story that God is telling. Jesus has the first and the last word. Not the serpent, not the enemy, not sin, not death. Nothing can bend this universe to do anything other than glorify God. It can only evidence the reality of who God is and what he's like. Let's finish reading Hebrews 1, 3 through 4. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
We're going to get more into the angels thing next week. But the preacher has made it clear already that God has spoken through Jesus in the beginning. And that God's word has been upheld through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection. And the rest of Hebrews 4, 3 through 4, points towards like this eternally enduring reality of Jesus being seen for who he really is and what he is really like. He will be known by all as superior in every way to all things, even to the angels. The writer of Hebrews, with this one like awe-inspiring sentence, is introducing the case that will be made throughout the book against the lies that we have believed in answer to the questions who God is and what he's like. He or she, whoever wrote this, makes the case essentially that the serpent doesn't get the first or the last word. Jesus does. And he himself answered the questions before the questions were ever asked. They were answered when creation was spoken into existence and they are evident in all of creation. And the answers have been upheld in the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the answers are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forevermore. We're naming this series, Jesus is Better, because he is. And he's far greater than we have likely imagined. And my hope is that we will get to know Jesus more through the book of Hebrews and that we will begin to see clearly that God is not who the serpent would have us believe he is. He's not hiding something from us. Like, in fact, he made everyone and everything in order to make himself known. And he sent his son into the world to die for our sins. In that alone, we see a lot about who he is and what he's like. And Jesus rose again. And like all of our big questions about what God is like and what his intentions are towards us, those questions that stem like from confusion and suspicion and distrust, Jesus is the answer to them all. And that's what we will be unfolding throughout our time in Hebrews over the next few months. It's, it's pretty deep. It's pretty wide. It's very dense. But it's just packed with the good news that Jesus is the answer from eternity past and into eternity future. And that Jesus is better. That he's greater than the angels. That he's greater than Moses. That he's greater than the priest and the temple and the law. We're going to see that his oath is better than any commitment that we could make or break. And his word is better than whatever the enemy could speak. His word is better than whatever we would speak for ourselves. So we may have like these great big questions. And maybe we wonder if we can really trust God from time to time. And our questions and answers will lead us to live in all sorts of ways. But only when we find our answers in Jesus will we be living the life that we were created to live. Hebrews is written to encourage us towards faith in Jesus. It's written to trust, to help us to trust him, to find our answers in him alone. Time and again, as we go through this book, we're going to hear the call to be confident in Christ 
to find our anchor of the soul in who he is, to have faith in him in life and in death and in all times and all circumstances. There's this song lyric, and it's taken in part from Hebrews. It says this. It says, your, your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. And it's as we find that to be true, that his word is better than all those empty claims, that our faith is strengthened. And so as we go this morning, this is how I just kind of want to prompt you as we move into these next weeks and months. I think it's useful just to spend a little bit of time maybe being honest about those empty claims that we have heard and that we have believed. Maybe we still believe them. What I mean is that it might be helpful to go on ahead and try to identify those lies that we tend to believe. It would be useful to spend some time in reflection, purposely looking and like listening uh, for the ways in which we've been led to ask questions of suspicion and confusion towards God rather than questions of awe and wonder. Try to listen to yourself. Hear the soundtracks that play in your head. What questions are you asking? What things do you say out loud to yourself? Like, why does God bless others and not me? Why hasn't he given me the things that I really want? Why is my life this way? Why did he make me this way? God only wants to punish me. God only needs me so that he can do this thing or that thing. He doesn't care about me. What are the things that you hear yourself saying? What questions have you been asking? What lies have you been believing? Listen to what you say to yourself in your head daily. Listen to the patterns of your life. What do they communicate? And my invitation to us this morning is just to bring them to Jesus today. Bring them to Jesus over the coming weeks and months as we go through Hebrews and see how he is the answer for all your questions and see how he refutes the lies. See how he turns your questions of suspicion and confusion towards God into questions of absolute awe and wonder as we get to know him more thoroughly for all that he's worth. We're going to move into a time of response, and I want you to even begin to respond by thinking through some of that stuff now, like identifying some of those lies and, and bringing them to Jesus, even as we continue to sing and move into this time of response. Bring them to him. And during this time, the band's going to lead us in worship. They're going to come back up and lead us as they always do. And we're going to move into a time of uh, taking communion together. Uh, as you come for communion, as we do each week, you can come and come down the center aisle. There's a basket in the back for giving. Uh, you can give electronically on our website. You can give there. What we want you to do in this time, no matter how you give or what you give or any of that, is to remember that God is your provider and take a moment to offer him back praise for that through, the, through your offerings and, and tithes and whatnot. And then as we come, as we do each week, we're going to come and take the bread, and we can dip it in the, the wine or the juice. The bread, this represents the body of Jesus that was given for us. The wine and the juice represent the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And when we come and take this, we are uh, remembering that Jesus is who he says he is. We're remembering that Jesus is greater. We're remembering that he said it from the beginning. We're remembering that he upheld it in his death and his resurrection. 
And we're proclaiming that to each other as we come and take it. And we're remembering that in that, he saved us back to himself, that he's made a way for us to be with God, and he's made a way for us to be with one another. And so whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, if you're a Christian, if this is your uh, confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we invite you to come and take with us and, uh, and, make, and remember Jesus and proclaim him to one another with us. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into that time. Our Father, I scarcely have the words to say what you're like and who you are and to praise you and to, to, to make you known and to glorify you as you ought to be. It's just too great for us. It's too great for me. Jesus is is too great for me. Lord, I pray that you just continue to make that reality for us. Like that our questions like get stolen back, get taken away from the, the suspicion and the confusion and, and get turned back over to the to the awe and the wonder of who you are and, and just your utter greatness and goodness and loving kindness, compassion and mercy. God, I pray that this morning as we, we worship together, as we continue to sing together, as we come and we take communion together, as we remember that you are a provider, that you own everything, you made it all. And we express that back to you and say, this is how much you're worth, God. I pray that in all this, you make Jesus known to us, that you lift him high, that we see him as greater, that you open up the eyes of our hearts so we would begin to understand and comprehend the heights and the depths and the widths and the breadth of your great love for us. It would just shatter us and make us new. And that we would become people over these next months that look more and more like Jesus so that when people look in here whether that's in this building or in just in our family or, or wherever we are outside of this in our everyday lives that they would see Jesus that you'd make yourself known through your people at Redemption Church and that all those questions that exist in this world all those empty claims would be met with the better word of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.